It's Jesse Sublet, awesome author, musician, blues poet of the mean streets, rock contour. Haven't I seen you somewhere, like in one of my crime novels? And speaking of a cast of suspicious characters, here's a Texas Tribune Tribcast, led by Reeve Hamilton. Okay, cue the spooky bass solo here. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the first week of February. Joining me is CEO and editor-in-chief Evan Smith. Yo. Executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. And reporter Aman Bathija. Hi there. It was very efficient. Well done, everyone. Moving along, Reeve. We're off to a great <laughs> February. Shortest month, shortest intro to the podcast. Well, the lowest, actually, a rather long intro to the podcast. Oh, you. I meant just the introductions of you guys. <laughs> the intro, which was great, J- Jesse, was a bit long. We yielded back the balance of our time to Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's get started with the governor's race, if you can call it that. Apparently, Larry Sabato wrote in. Apparently, it's over. It? Yeah, he's, he's, he said in it was, Politico, Politico magazine. Nothing to it, see here, folks. Move along. Move, move along. He said it was one of the top five non races. Six overrated. Six overrated. Well, I, I read some of it. Read the cue cards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> read, read off the cue cards. Uh, you agree with that analysis? Yeah. I, you know, in some ways, I mean, you know, this – the Democrats have not made this – the case that this is really a – that they really have a chance to win in Texas. It's an interesting race and they're trying to change the conversation and they're trying to change the political math in the state and they're trying to change the organization of their party in the state – but they haven't shown that they're that this is going to get a different result than the last twenty years of races has. Now, but how you could know, you show that without votes? Well, there's not a sign that it's happened yet. I mean, they've got a they've got kind of a star candidate at the moment, but they they haven't got an election where they can point to, hey, did you see that? There there aren't any cracks in the shell here. Proof by assertion is not proof. And if you believe this race is overrated, then you believe that every race previously in Texas since Ann Richards lost to George W. Bush has been overrated in the sense that the people who are overrating it are the people who are running and say, we're going to win. But outside of that group of people, there aren't a whole lot of people running around saying that the Democrat really has a chance. Now, she has more of a chance than the others have, and the optics of this race understandably present a more optimistic picture for Democrats, but the math is the math, and the math is dispositive. The reality is that the math is not any different. So Sabato is saying, well, this race is overrated. Well, no. This race has always been exactly where this race has been, right, right. which is to say she it's has rated. a huge – up. well, yeah, she has a huge uphill battle. She has a huge uphill battle. Has the last couple of weeks of bad press and everything made her challenge more difficult? Well, yeah, only in the sense that – any Democrat running now cannot afford to make any mistakes and has to get votes from the other side. And the last couple of weeks probably hurt that effort. But the, the, the math of this race today is the math of this race three months ago. Should we, can we talk a little bit about her bad press the last couple of weeks? I mean, the, basically the new storyline that's come out of the last couple of weeks is that she hates the press, right, according to some of the people in the press. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, we're in an industry of whining, 
you know, you know, we do our share of it. And, you know, reporters are always complaining about something. And the complaint right now is that they don't have the access or don't have, you know, they don't have sufficient access that they're not the, the campaigns ducking them. You know, there was a this live stream thing that we did got a lot of attention when she was talking to the Travis County Democratic Party three days earlier than that. She was talking in a public meeting to the AFL-CIO at their COPE convention, and nobody showed up to cover it. So, you know, part of this is the press deciding when it's going to show up and when it's not going to show up. You know, it's just a navel-gazing industry, and they have access to headlines and printing. But it's amazing the way it's taken off nationally, this narrative. Well, and I'm just not clear. I'm not saying she's – Wendy Davis' campaign has been fantastic with press relations, but has she been markedly worse than Abbott? You know, uh, you know, Jay Root's been covering it more day to day. But my sense is that, you know, you can more or less get in and talk to the people that you need to get in and talk to most of the time. You know, I mean, on, campaigns on, in, always in, in both campaigns. Yeah. Campaigns, mo- campaigns always hold us at arm's length to an extent that we don't like it. I mean, they don't let you see all their stuff. And, you know, you want to see other stuff. That's the basic tension of this thing. It's also really early. And it's also, you know, it's also in a situation where the Davis campaign was in crisis mode for a little bit there, you know, trying to figure out when and whether to answer all of the issues about her bio um, and to and trying to figure out, you know, how to describe whether there were any issues with her bio or not. You know, I mean, they were playing that game and they didn't want to play that in public. So they, you know, shut it down for a couple of days at, at exactly the time when the press wanted to get in. And that tension is what showed up as press griping. There's plenty of problems to go around here, I think. Every corner of the story, there's something to talk about. Right. Has the communication staff of the Davis campaign uh, not been its best self over the last couple of weeks? Yes. Um, was that whole night at the Travis County Democratic Party fundraiser, kind of a mess from a Davis campaign perspective? Yes. Who's responsible for it? I think that depends upon who you talk to. I tell you who was not responsible for it, us. You know, the implication somehow that we shut people out of the of the event because we wanted exclusive access is, of course, ridiculous. We had nothing we, to do we with who. We just wanted access. We just wanted access. Right. Um, is the press being a little whiny about this and going on a little long about it? Yeah, probably, you know. Um, we we always do. <laughs> we always do. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the the press the press's attitude with regard to the Davis campaign, to borrow a popular phrase of the moment, is time for some traffic problems in Fort Worth. You know, um, the pre, the press the 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 the, the press uh, uh, you know believes that the Davis campaign uh, has, has somehow not done its job, and so they're. Uh, avenging that by uh, airing their dirty laundry. Uh, and the national guys, the national press, some of whom had it in for Davis before there was necessarily a precipitating event, have been only too happy to jump on the bandwagon. So you're getting all these national stories that are the equivalent of repeater signals in public broadcasting where stations take programming from other stations and air it themselves. People are writing about this story without having any knowledge of what actually happened, but they're simply repeating what they've heard from other media. But, uh, and but the story has kind of gotten out of control. And I think that as much as the Davis campaign owns the fail here in not anticipating that there might be some people in the press who are angry at what happened, I think that it's kind of gotten way out of control because people who don't really know what happened have been only too happy to take the baton and to run with it. But isn't well, the control on them? I mean, they've basically spent all of 2014 so far sort of playing defense on stories that seem to be just spinning for long lifespans sort of beyond their usefulness. You know, the press story is sort of the noisy the noisy thing here, but I don't think it's really the thing here. I think the thing here is does the Davis campaign 
know what it's doing. And they might or might not, but they, you know, the evidence of the last two weeks isn't great. And a lot of um, national attention has been on, you know, this was supposed to be a big shot, big deal campaign and isn't acting like one. What's the deal with that? Uh, and we should talk about that. Actually, pre-podcast, Ross and I were talking about this issue. Right. What is wrong with the Davis campaign? Is it a problem with the Davis campaign or is there a larger problem, which I think is a, an, an interesting topic to, con- to contemplate? Democrats have been out of competitive elections for two decades. The infrastructure of running campaigns on the Democratic side in Texas is kind of thin. So you try to do a kind of big-time campaign in Texas – and you're a Republican, you got a whole lot of people to draw on. Now, I think correctly, Ross has said one of the problems this year is there were so many competitive Republican campaigns that the talent pool there is actually strained too. But on the Democratic side, where there really hasn't been any competitive Democratic campaign in a very long time, it, the bench is no bench. And so if there's a staff issue, if there's a an infrastructure issue on the Davis side, part of the problem may just be that Who's the big-time Democratic campaign consultant of any consequence or stature? They've got some regionals. I mean, they've got some people who have been successful in House races and Senate races and consistently, you know, good at that. But, but you know, but statewide campaigns not, not a lot isn't of their thing. There. And, you know, one piece of evidence of that is the whole battleground Texas thing. It's like, you know, somebody, you know, somebody running in and saying, you guys obviously can't do this. Let me try that. You know, scoot over, kid. I'm, it's time for me to drive. Well, uh, and, of course, battleground Texas is – narrative when they first got in was not we are going to win a governor's race in 2014. It was we are going to start building an infrastructure to and, win down the road. And, and this ma- is going to take about and, six years. Is and what and maybe, they that, maybe they are. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But it's just I think the public's perception has changed to the point where, you know, Larry Sabato looks at it and says it's the most overrated race in the country. Right. So I mean, that that narrative got sort of away from that. The problem with that is that he's assuming that the race was going to be competitive and that now suddenly it isn't. Or that the perception of it is incorrect. I'm not certain that the perception of it today is different than the perception of it three months ago. I feel like a lot of Democrats, their goal after Election Day is just to have closed the gap, made it, you know, lost by less than they've been losing for years. Right. Get her to 45. It's a marathon and not a sprint. And we hope that in a future cycle, this is a stone in the path and we're going to kind of keep walking down the path until we eventually get there, but maybe not get there this time. And I think that's what they're hoping. Yeah. I'm not even sure we'll know if Wendy Davis' campaign was successful for Democrats for years. I keep thinking of um, in Tarrant County in 2006, Tim Curry, the uh, DA, Republican. Running famous, for re- famous for his roles in uh, – Rocky Horror. Muppet, <laughs> Muppet Treasure Island. You went there. I went to Rocky Horror. <laughs> you totally lose in that contest of cultural control. references. <laughs> you lose. <laughs> you also think Barry Bostwick was, was, uh, was uh, in another – that's the only thing. I don't think Barry Bostwick was a thing that existed okay, until good. he just. Anyway, <laughs> right. I mean, now rejoin our podcast. We, we digress. <laughs> this yeah. is the other podcast we're going to launch soon. I think yeah. one of Tim Curry's <laughs> <laughs> prosecutors decides to run against him, Terry Moore. Any anything on that name? No, I got, okay, good. I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Uh, she loses. brother of Julianne. <laughs> she loses. Uh, Sister. <laughs> Shut up, <laughs> She loses 53-47, which was better than a Democrat had done in Tarrant County countywide in like over a decade. Democrats get really excited. The next 2008, they start talking about, you know, Terry Moore, we lost by six points. We can win this time. And they kept mentioning that race. But they didn't get any decent candidates. So they did, they did much worse than they had done in a long time. And I feel like that's the situation with Wendy. If, you know, she lo- if she loses 
5347. That'd be fantastic for Democrats. Yeah, every Democrat should do a cartwheel in the street if they get to right. Do a but if the next election, race, right? if yeah. the next election, they don't actually capitalize on that, then LB Wendy Davis was a failure. And and this is a show me thing. I mean, there's not anything here that says. I mean, there's nothing evident at this point that says, you know, here's why this candidacy is going to do better than the last three or four candidacies. That's not to say that it's not, but there's nothing here to say this is a this is a 44 percent candidacy is against, you know, all these other. Yeah, there are I mean, a couple other things to stipulate here, uh, and, and they're obvious, but probably bear saying. First is this race is not over. This race has barely started. So the people who are looking at the biography controversy over the last couple of weeks and, and sort of pronouncing last rights over Wendy, shut up. This race is not over. Now, the math on the race may be such that it's a huge uphill battle for her, and we may think we know the outcome now, and we may, in fact. On the other hand, the idea that this race is somehow over or that these last two weeks are somehow going to be the death knell for this campaign are crazy. Well, I mean, we don't know that. Nobody knows that. On the other hand, the math is the math. I mean, just, it just, I mean, it just, just is what it is. The real question here is, is is this race any different than what the Democrats have done before? And if so, why? And yeah. you've got you've to show some results. They haven't shown anything. Well, look, look she's, raised, she's raised a bunch of money. Uh, she got $10 million in the bank, which if you're a Democrat running a statewide race in recent memory, you got $10 million in the bank on January whatever yeah. or Who February else has whatever. Raised that's a good. Bunch of money, though. It's only a three-to-one advantage for Abbott right yeah. now. But Abbott's got $29 million in the bank. Abbott raised $3.1 million. He could and stop that, today and, and spend $3.3 million a month. He could. And be fine. Uh, uh, he raised $3.1 million between January 1st and January 23rd. She raised less than a million. But actually, it's those three kind of things together, the entities that raised that. The wheels within the wheels. The wheels right. within the wheels. So – He's got a significant money advantage. We knew that he would. We'll see. I think Sabato's we'll probably see. saying, look, you know, this is going to be a big-time race. It's going to cost a lot of money. Uh, you know, the autopsies, the political autopsies at the end of this are not going to be, well, this candidate or that candidate didn't have enough money. Um, and if she loses, and, 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 it's not going to be because but, she didn't tell us how many months she spent in a trailer. But he's, if but he's, she loses, well, it's going it to be might, for structural it, reasons that have nothing to do with it. It, oh, might, it might be that. Um, you know, we don't know that yet. I mean, well, the, but Abbott, you don't see, know if they're going to be able to run a proper campaign. I mean, so look, they've got these stories in September from Jay Root and Peggy Fiekak that start to question the resume. And then they come up with a story in late January, early February, that questioned the same resume. Did nobody come in in October and start cleaning this thing up? I mean, hello. You know, they had a they had an early warning. You know, get, call the Harvey Keitel character to get the cleaner in here. Fall break. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but Abbott said yesterday, he told the morning news, uh, we need to move past this story of Wendy's biography. So right. it makes me wonder just how much they actually are going to bring it up. Okay, pa- but by later. we, who did he mean? Probably the Abbott campaign. The yeah. official Abbott campaign. Right. No, the, Abbott, the Abbott campaign. The unofficial Abbott campaign. Yeah. Right, yeah. The Abbott <clears throat> campaign has done a great job in the last month of keeping her on her toes without actually being the ones sort of putting her on the defensive. You know, they're sort of on cruise control. C R U I S E. Supposed to the other kind of cruise control. Right? Yeah, I mean, they're just sort of what they. You know, they're rolling out policies. Uh, what was his big announcement this week? Was a three hundred million dollar border, border security, security deal, right? Which was also live streamed. Right. And, and more broadly, an effort to secure uh, Texas, border security, but also a bunch of criminal justice stuff. You know, it's a pretty meaty speech. You mm-hmm. could pick at, pick at this or pick at that. But at the end of the day, it was kind of a – you know, people who say Abbott's kind of been ducking being specific about issues. Well, this was actually quite specific. Well, he did the education thing wrong. He, he did this thing. Um, he yeah. did the ethics thing. But he's talking about yeah. this stuff and letting 
the Wendy Davis story spin, which is what you ought to do. All your opponents in trouble just don't intervene. Right. You know, and, and some people say that the that for all this attention on Davis, that the press has been inadequately attentive to or or uh, heaped inadequate scrutiny on uh, Abbott. Our our friend Paul Burka uh, wrote over the last day or two, you know, that the media has basically allowed Greg Abbott to. He said t- t- Texas media has allowed uh, Greg Abbott to, to carry on a campaign without substance. I don't think we're the ones that put a picture of Greg Abbott on our cover. Well, <laughs> yeah, <go ahead. laughs> well also, also he, he, he is – correct me if I'm wrong – still in the media. Is he not? He, Paul? he still is, yeah. So he, he, was, he was basically saying the media, that's them, not me. Is right. that what he's saying? <laughs> but right. he doesn't go out to the events though. He goes outside. I've seen him in Tyler. I don't think the media have, have shied away from writing about Abbott. I think that that time will come. We're going to know everything about both these candidates. Most definitely. This is going to get – I mean it's a really expensive um, – getting a lot of attention and it's got nine months left. But that said, you know, Davis has been on defense and didn't necessarily need to be. And I think Sabato's right. You know, the, you know, unless you show something different from the previous races, you're looking at a 10 to 15-point race here. So we're going to boldly handicap the race in favor of Abbott at this moment. Bold. <laughs> Very bold. Because all the action is really in uh, the Republican primaries, as we've discussed. And Amon, you've been covering the Comptroller's race. I think you just moderated the Comptroller's forum. I did, yeah. And the fighting on stage was definitely mostly between uh, Harvey Hildebrand and uh, Glenn Hager. They seem to be fighting to get into a runoff with Deborah Medina. That's what I've been seeing the most. Because So you're prepared to say sitting here that you think Medina gets in a runoff? I think her name ID, and you know she's she's, she's got about a buck thirty in her, in her bank account. <laughs> and you're, you're and you're right. The next few weeks might change everything if once they go on TV more, maybe it'll change. But when I've gone to events and when I've talked to people, I hear Medina a lot still, and there still seems to be some fondness for her from her earlier run. Well, and she's the only one who's been on a statewide ballot, right? The only known. You know when there. you're going to know Medina is a real threat to these guys when she wins when, the luge when at the you Winter he- Olympics. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, when you hear them talk about the Glenn Beck interview about 9-11, when that comes back up, right. then you know that somebody in campaign headquarters believes Medina is a threat. Right. Not yet. When they pull that story out and say, remember this? Remember this? Right. <laughs> but how much time is left to pull that story out? They have plenty Four of time. Yeah. You know, they've got two weeks An before. Eternity. About two weeks before, a week and a half before early, early voting, voting starts. Um and they both have enough money to make a little bit of noise. I don't Particularly know. Particularly Hager. Wonder. Hager had two point eight million dollars yeah. on on I hand. I don't know if they're going to get a of bunch month. of TV out of this, but you know they have enough um, money to make their names known at least. And then who, who else is running? Raul Torres is the fourth. Yes, and he's um, he's been on a lot of the forums, and you know has you know he's the only CPA running in the race, so he's been focusing on that a lot. But he hasn't raised much money, and I don't get the sense that there's a lot of confidence that he's going to. Make the runoff if there is a runoff, but I just I, I get the sense though that the race is about to get a lot nastier. Now what are they we're... arguing about? <laughs> That's the thing they they agree on a lot of stuff and a lot of things they're trying to be pretty vague about. Um, you know exactly what they want to do because the comptroller's race it's hard to get people excited about the specifics well, of what uh, they do. That's part of it. I mean, are they arguing about the office or are they arguing about things that are um, responsive? Let's say responsive to the Republican electorate. <laughs> Actually, they're arguing a lot about Susan Combs. Uh, Harvey Hildebrand. That's responsive to the Republican electorate. (laughs) Harvey Hildebrand is uh, hitting Combs the most, and you know, arguing that we need to like completely change things from how she ran things. Glenn Hager is doing that the least. Well, and of course, we should should Combs endorsed him. Combs endorsed Hager. Yeah, Hildebrand wanted Combs' endorsement. There were quotes from Hildebrand prior to the endorsement in which, while he wasn't one hundred percent supportive of Combs, Mm -hmm. his his tone, the tone of his comments about Combs. 
has not so subtly shifted over time. Post-endorsement of Hager, suddenly Susan Combs needed to be you know, driven from her office with sticks and <laughs> you know, dropped at the state line with her belongings. How and, much of know. a factor is she in this? I mean, is she a negative or a positive or sort of an unknown? I mean, you know, statewide officials at this part of the ballot, even if they've been in office for a while, come into races like this all the time. And it's like they find out their name ID is like 18 or 19 percent. Do people really even know who she is in a way that they're going? Oh, the primary electorate, Amon, must know who she is. Data breach. Uh, special events trust fund. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's been these a lot are, of scandals. These are all her nicknames. <laughs> well, but I think, there, and, you know, the fact is, you know, the, the $8.8 billion miss on the revenue estimate. I actually think there are a bunch of things about her tenure as comptroller different from past comptroller's tenures that associate themselves with her in a negative way where Republican primary voters actually have a way to make a comparison between the person in the job now and the people who they are looking at. So Combs endorses mm, one candidate so. who wins, the guy who got endorsed or the guy who didn't. I just think you have to ask yourself whether the any endorsement at this point matters at all. Well, and I'll just add, I think it was yesterday, Combs and Dewhurst announced his Combs had endorsed him and sent that out in a email. So it seems like at least some people still think, value her endorsement in a well, and, Republican and primary. Well, she's a, she's a complete positive in the primary. I just think it's interesting that they're you know, that someone endorses and that there's even a conversation about it. I, I, I have some, to say, you know, yeah. Hager has a lot of endorsements. Hager has a lot of money. Hager has not just a lot of endorsements, but Hager has kind of that uh, voguish conservative band of endorsements now, the kind of empower Texans, that whole, you know, disproportionately significant in a small primary where the most motivated people tend to be those folks. And yet, Hildebrand is really kind of hanging on in this race in a way that I candidly did not think he would. Some of these are weird. And Power Texans has given Hildebrand better grades over the past four sessions than they gave Hager, and then they endorsed Hager. I mean, you know, some of these are just weird. Uh, but but he is so winning, he so is winning a, those endorsements. It's a real race, yeah. you know. And, and again, this is one of these kind of like lieutenant governor where if you said right now we're all going to be held hostage until we told you who was going to win, I couldn't give you a, a straight answer as to who's going to win. I think at one point I thought Hager maybe had one or two more clicks in the direction of, of winning this thing. But I frankly couldn't tell you right now mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Don't know. Would I'm it, the same. Would it make a huge difference who won in terms of how the comptroller's office would – be run. I mean, you look at a lot of these House races, primaries, and that's it's sort a, of like you know what? Well, that's a, a that's a really good question. And you get the sense with that with the lieutenant governor candidates, right? They seem to have pretty distinct mm. styles. Yeah, I actually think that's true with the lieutenant governor candidates. I think I think you know Patterson and Staples and Patrick and Dewhurst all agree on a lot of issues, and you know they've done like twenty five appearances and debates and forums and all of those kinds of things together, so they can all kind of sing each other's part. And sometimes they sound awfully alike, but as a matter of style and as a matter of, of process. If, if Dan Patrick I think was it's doing a whole, a, Jerry Patterson, it would look like uh, Edward Norton fighting himself in Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> be fun to, be, it would be fun to watch. But I, I think if you ask the senators, you know, is there a difference here? The answer is, oh, yeah, and, and a dramatic difference in how the Senate would run and, you know, what the Senate's likelihood of leaving a bunch of power in the chair might be and, you know, just how the internal tensions go. Because that's a personality I, game. I think I actually disagree with you on, on one aspect of this. I actually think the lieutenant governor's race is different than the others in the sense that I think that the personal animosity within that race is at a fever pitch compared to some of the other races. I think if you have a runoff for comptroller or runoff mm-hmm. for attorney general or runoff for railroad, runoff for ag, 
you're going to have two people who move on. You're going to have other people who go, well, you know, endorse. Still going to trade Valentine's Day cards? I think that the, I think that the hostility between uh, Patrick and the other candidates in this race is a hugely defining f- factor. And that the runoff is going to be really interesting. I mean, imagine a scenario where Dewhurst – let's just play this out for a second. Dewhurst and Patrick get into a runoff. The, by the t- Ted Cruz, David Dewhurst standards, you would assume that Dewhurst winning, let's just call it 38 percent of the vote, means that there's a 62 percent anti-Dewhurst vote in the aggregate and that the people who don't get into the runoff against Dewhurst would associate themselves with the anti-Dewhurst candidate. I'm not sure in this case. Well, right. But that's exactly what happened with um, Dewar's Cruz. Every you know, Dewar's drew the endorsements of Leopard and I want to say Craig James even. But I, but yeah. I th- I think the difference though is I'm not sure that being the anti Dewar's candidate in this race is necessarily in a runoff the edge that you would think it would be if it's Patrick because I think that I, I just I think the dynamic in a runoff of that race is just different. I think that the outcome of that race is well, so much more unknown and not clear, well, even the in question the case there is, of a runoff. The question there is whether there's a difference with the voters between Ted Cruz, who they saw as a viable, desirable alternative to Dewhurst, and, and Dan Patrick, and whether they'll see him the same way. Are or Staples, whether they'll get into the thing where they say, right. you know, yeah, we wanted to replace Dewhurst, but now that it's Dewhurst versus Patrick, we're nah. not sure. Are Staples voters and Patterson voters temperamentally, if they're told that their guy's not going to get in, right. and they've got to choose between Patrick and Dewhurst, are they going to go to Patrick? And how vociferous will you know? Right now, as we sit here recording this, there's an email back and forth about um, uh, Patterson and Patrick are feuding about whether or not John Hagee endorsed Patrick. I mean, the animosity between these guys. This is John Hagee at Cornerstone Church in, yeah. in San Francisco. The animosity between these guys, personal, what seems to be like genuine personal dislike, is really significantly greater than I think in the other races. And I just think the lieutenant governor's race is kind of its own. Thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the AG's race, which you know you're responsible for, Reeve. I mean, I don't know that we have. No, that's any clear, your fault, Reeve. I don't know that we have any clearer sense of how that's going to turn out. But it hasn't been, by and large, a case of the three guys on stage having to be held back by their campaign staff because they hate each other. Right? No, they can they can control themselves on stage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, 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 have, any, you have any clearer <laughs> sense than Amon does about the Comptroller's race? What's happening in that race? In that race, I mean, I think it's uh, you know it's one of those things. Sort of like a lot of these other races, well, we'll we'll see how much money matters, right? Dan Branch has a lot more money than Ken Paxson and Barry Smitherman. But, you know, he also does not have the support of the Empowered Texans crowd. And uh, we'll see how much that stuff really matters. But in terms of who's going to make the runoff, uh, you know, if money is not the deciding factor, it's sort of anybody's game, I think. Are you convinced there's a runoff in that race? No. I mean, I'm... (laughs) You, know, the, you sort of figure that there's likely to be, The right? big number in all these races, last time we polled it in October, was undecided. Mm-hmm. And, and, and don't know who those guys are and what are you talking about? And, and the, the issue of money and all of that kind of stuff you know, has to do really – and endorsements has to do really with if you don't know these guys, do they have the means to get known or do they have the endorsements where if you don't know them, you say, well, I don't know this guy, but at least he came in with a familiar, somebody that I like, you know. Whether it was a Farm Bureau right. endorsement or an well, endorsement from a business association of, or of those, Texans or of whatever Of those three in the AG's race, only one of them is run statewide. Right. And that's, and that's Smitherman. So he theoretically has an advantage having done that. On the other well, hand, I'm not sure anybody he, pays attention. But, but, but that's rel- still, yeah. still relatively unknown in the October poll and, and, and in other polling I've seen. But I do think with those guys, you have three – while they're, you know, they're all sort of white men of a certain age uh, – you, you would have a pretty different experience with each of them as attorney general. 
Yeah, although when they're on stage and you say describe the difference between you and the other two guys sitting here, they seem, all go, you know. I, I, I've said this many times, though. I think that these, these races, this one and the lieutenant governor's race in particular, these are going to be decided as in the BCS on style points. The, the substantive differences among these guys is not that great. But I think temperamentally, as you correctly say, you know, Branch would be a different attorney general than Paxton. Well, you just look at their time in the House, right? Branch sort of made a point of getting a seat at the table, and Paxton sort of made a point of sort of poking from the outside. Right. Ran he wanted his own table. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Give me a paper. But, uh, well, you've also been looking at the Cornyn race, Amon. You're all over the races. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, – most people don't know this, but it is actually an eight-way race in the primary. There are Eight-way s- there are wow. seven Republicans, and if you if you totally like my skyline chili, actually. <laughs> <laughs> if you uh, actually add in the Democrats, Libertarians, and Independents, there are twenty people running against Cornyn right now. But focusing on Republican primary, uh, Stockman has been getting all the attention, even though he hasn't been very present in Texas. Um, he's. Uh, He's been president in Egypt, right? Where, he all, went, has he, where all has he, he been? He went to, on a congressional trip to Egypt, Israel, and Russia and did not tell the press about it until he came back, even though press reports came out saying, where is Steve Stockman? He's in hiding. No one knows where he is. Right. And he said afterward, he he claimed that he did that. He, he stayed quiet on purpose because he wanted the press to write wrong things about him to show that the press doesn't care about getting their facts right. Well, and, that's, that's sort and that's of like, his campaign? That's sort of exactly what Jennifer Lawrence says in American Hustle. <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, yes, this was my plan all along. <laughs> didn't he also organize, like, didn't his campaign hold press events while he was apparently out of the country? That uh, he was supposed to be at. I don't know if he was out of the country for those. He missed, oh. well, I went to one where he was apparently delayed by traffic, but then last week there was another, uh, some Tea Party event that he was supposed to be at, and other candidates showed up and there was just a chair with the sign that said Steve Stockman. Um, there's actually another candidate, Dwayne Stovall, who's been getting a lot of um, interest from Tea Party groups. I think the perception is um, he might make a great candidate uh, for some office in the future. Right now, he got in a little too late and it's a statewide office. So I don't think there's a perception he'll necessarily win. But a lot of a lot of Tea Party people I've been speaking with have been very impressed by him. Does Cornyn stay out of a runoff, does it look like? I mean, he's got seven candidates. If, if nothing else, it's just, you know, there's a lot of ways to say not the incumbent. I, I think a lot of it depends on how many people go into the ballot, go to the ballot and see Stockman and just vaguely hear, remember something about him. Maybe that, you know, he brought Ted Nugent to the State of the Union or in this recent State of the Union, he walked out, which got a lot of attention. Um, I think if there's some people who just kind of vaguely know Stockman and think, oh, that guy's more vocal than Cornyn and vote for him. I, I think that could push him into a runoff. And Cornyn has a ton of money, right? Oh, yeah. He's ready, got— Ready to go on TV during the Olympics and around the Olympics and after yeah. the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're going to start seeing, I mean, lots of TV ads in the next—probably next week. How many of the 20 people running for the seat are legitimate candidates? You know, I, I've met her, and I think she's perfectly nice, but I don't think that Keisha Rogers, the Democrat running for the seat, who wants to impeach Obama and colonize Mars and— there, know, there are five— Is really going to get— you know, get a chance at it. There are five Democrats running, if you count Keisha Rogers, who wants to impeach Obama. If you go to the Texas Democratic Party website, they only list four. They basically are They disowned her years yes, ago. Yes, yeah. and they, they refuse to acknowledge her campaign even. Um, <laughs> and so of the other four, uh, David Alamiel is probably kind of the one to watch. Uh, both Wendy Davis and Letitia Vandepute have endorsed him. Uh, David Alamiel is a millionaire. He uh, is from Dallas. He runs a chain of dental clinics that cater to Hispanics. And 
he uh, ran for Congress two years ago and came in fourth and I believe spent something like $4,000 a vote. That's the race Mark Vesey won. Uh, I think so, yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so he's not the most um, polished candidate. And he's getting mail from Cornyn now, right? Yes, because uh, uh, we had uh, talked to his campaign about uh, his past contributions. He used to, he's a major donor to the Democratic Party, and he used to also give a lot to Republicans, too, including Cornyn. And um, I had called his campaign about that, and you know, because some people have been questioning whether he's a true Democrat. And he said that he wished he could get a refund. He regrets those uh, donations to the Republicans, including John Cornyn. I bet he does. <laughs> and, so Cornyn, and so Cornyn saw this and wrote a very funny letter saying, um, thank you for all your support and for supporting conservative causes for years. Um, I can't give you back the money because, as you know, we need every penny to continue fighting for conservative causes. Thanks again for all the money. <laughs> That's a pretty good response. Yeah. And unfortunately, we can't give listeners back their time for listening to this podcast. <laughs> but we would like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Aman, Ross, Evan, and our producer, Todd, we'd like to invite anyone with questions and comments to email them to tribcast at texttribune.org. I'm Reeve. Thanks for listening. Movie college Republican that's being made? Yes, I know the story. It's Daniel Radcliffe as. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I have the script in my office.